Okay, so this is like you said in the, uh, this is Lamed Gimel in the first chilek of Mar Nebuchim. And as we said, this is sort of a section of the Mar Nebuchim that deals with uh, the issue of approaching Chuchman in general. We had like um, 30 chapters, most of which were devoted to the, uh, to the defining of different terms. But truthfully, you know, the reality is that even within the defining of terms, he's setting up the stage for this discourse on uh, the limits of the human intellect, which is what he started talking about in Lamed Aleph and Lamed Bet, limits of the human intellect and the danger of stretching the human intellect beyond its, uh, beyond its limits. And, the, um, and really in, the, in some of the... Uh, in some of the uh, uh, previous uh, chapters, he kind of alluded to it also in various ways, but he's building up to this point. So, Lamagimel is continuing on that theme. It's a it's a relatively short, um, relatively short parak, but important transitional parak. So it says, mazik meod." Beginning with this area, meaning he's talking about the area of metaphysics, the area of trying to understand the true significance of these uh, metaphors that are used in the Tanakh as opposed to remaining on a metaphoric level. So this, this venturing to this metaphysical realm is dangerous. It's damaging. Uh, the uh, divine science is dangerous. Explaining these mishalim, explaining the, uh, the metaphors and the prophecies, or pointing out the uh, the the similes, the, the 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 use, the borrowing of terms in the different prophetic visions uh, that are that the books of the of prophecy are filled with. In other words, two things: saying first of all, understand, first of all, entering into the uh, the divine science, trying to understand the metaphysical concepts, and also taking apart or unpacking, analyzing the metaphors in the prophetic books. These two things are very dangerous, even though the books of the Nevoir are filled with them. Okay, meaning try, going in and starting to identify, uh, to, to show people that these are not literal and that they should take them, uh, take them metaphorically is very dangerous, he says. Which is interesting, you know, because you would think... We teach, we teach math to kids all the time. Yeah. But he's saying you shouldn't... Uh, you shouldn't burst their bubble, he's saying. You know? It's interesting because, you know, most people, and I think we've come across this before in the Moray before, that most people are, are become militant when they, um, when they discover certain radical ideas that challenge the conventional orthodoxy and they go out and they want to, uh, they want to uh, dispel everyone's illusions and... Um, expose everyone to the uh, ultimate truth that they now see in, and somehow they, you know, they're kind of like they become crusaders for this uh, quote-unquote, you know, the correct understanding um, and to fight against the uh, frumkite or whatever whatever they're going to call it, you know, the... the fundamentalism. The, yeah, fundamentalism, fundamentalism dogmatism, uh, literalism that the people are, are, you know, are following. And you would think, oh, the Rambam would be in favor of that because, you know, he's the one who's telling us how 
wrongheaded it is to take these things literally. So why is he? Uh, and yet he's saying no, don't uh, don't go out and 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 proclaim this to the public. Don't get up and tell everyone that this is just a metaphor. You know, and so in certain cases you could see that it's pretty extreme. Some of the views that the Rambam would have. I mean, if you get up and say the three malachim of Abraham are just it's just a mara nevuah. You know, people start to be troubled by that. At the beginning of their development, I think it bothers people. Certain, uh, in, in the beginning of people's development, it bothers them, and then in the end, it's a consolation to them. It's, uh, in the, but, but exposing people to certain ideas, like, I remember when I was a kid, discovering that God doesn't have emotions bothered me. You know, meaning when I was young, very young. And I struggled with that idea of how could God be... I was a kid, you know, but like how could Hashem be insensitive? How could he be a robot? He's a computer. He doesn't... Uh, he's indifferent. He doesn't have any feeling. He doesn't have any, you know, bothered me. Now you look back and you realize that's, you know, that's a very uh, simplistic way of looking at things. But as a kid... And I have one teacher that I was talking with about it, and they said to me, which was probably very wise, they, um, they didn't tell me, oh, you're crazy and you're a heretic or anything like that. They said, just think Hashem has whatever Hashem experiences, it's not like what a human experiences. And that was very satisfying to me as a kid somehow. You know? I mean, I was able to accept that compromise that, okay, I can accept that he doesn't have emotions like we do, but I can't accept that he's indifferent, you know? And I was able to work with that and build on that foundation because he didn't, it like, burst my bubble completely and make me uh, lose my uh, feeling of connection to God or my concept of God wasn't totally shattered, but he basically put a damper on it so that I was able to so that it was a healthier foundation for future understanding, you know? It was good what he did. Um, How old were you, Rabbi? Uh, like a preteen, I guess. Yeah, probably. You know, so like, it just was something that bothered me. You know, and then everyone goes through the stage where they become a crusader for the uh, ultimate truths. You know, they start to discover certain irrationalities in the religious community or um, beliefs that are not really founded or that are problematic or might even be, you know, borderline idolatrous beliefs and they want to go and save the world and they become extreme. But the problem is that if you put people on the... If you, if you push somebody too much, they're just going to lose their emunah altogether and they're not going to progress. That's the danger. They're not, if they're not ready for it. And that's what he's saying. He actually says that straight out. He says, You train the children and you basically leave certain limits on the understanding. You accept certain limits on their understanding according to their ability to com- comprehend. So, like when, my, when little kids would ask, what does Hashem look like? What do you do? That's a famous question. Where right? is Hashem? What? Where is Hashem? Where, where is Hashem? Where is yeah. he? Or what does he look like? Or something like that. So my answer is just nobody's ever seen him. 
That's what I would tell the kids when they were very little. You know? Basically a form of I don't know. Yeah, nobody's ever seen Hashem, so nobody knows. Nobody could ever see Hashem and nobody has. Because if you just tell a little kid Hashem is, is, doesn't have a body, to them that means he doesn't exist. You know, as the Rambam says in many places, that why are the Malachim described as bodies, or why, is, why is the, does the Torah use the idea of, you know, things that sound very uh, anthropomorphic to describe God, because anything other than that, we don't ascribe existence to it. The immature mind doesn't. You know, so to the immature mind that doesn't really have an experience with metaphysical, with thought, let's say, with abstract thought, so the idea of something metaphysical is something that doesn't exist, basically. It's the same thing. So the, uh, so that's why I would just say nobody's ever seen him. So you're leaving open the, whatever you want in their minds, but that it shouldn't attach to anything specific. They're not going to have any idea of what God looks like, let's say, or fantasize about that because they realize they can't see God, but they, I didn't tell them God doesn't exist in their terms. In other words, I didn't convey to them something that would lead them to think God doesn't exist, but I also didn't give them any reason to think God appears a certain way. You know? Gotcha. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good compromise. I mean, it seemed to work. But, um... You know, of course, they can ask further questions in that. And I think as they get older, the questions become more sophisticated, obviously. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's saying to have certain limits, that you, uh, you accept certain limits on their understanding. You don't try to give them like uh, the, full, the full picture when they're not ready for it, you know? Just like any difficult issue that you need to explain to a child, you don't do it on the level of an adult. That's, I mean, that should be obvious. And if a, um, did you ever go to the doctor and the doctor starts explaining something to you in jargon that you have no clue what they're talking about? You know, happens to everyone. Or you might be, have been in a class where, or, or presentation where somebody's just talking over everyone's head because they assume everyone has an understanding of what they mean and nobody has any understanding of what they mean. Right, so the key is to uh, to try that the goal is to educate the person with whom you're speaking. It's not to impose upon them certain absolute truths that they're not ready for, because that's not how you educate somebody. You have to educate somebody by starting where they are, not by starting from where you are. Okay, and that's really what he's saying. Umishin shalem havana. I'm reading from the. The one, the kafich one, in case anyone is listening to this recording. So, so somebody who seems complete in their understanding, that person is, you know, destined to reach the, uh, the true understanding. So, that's the level of uh, being able to demonstrate certain truths. Uh, the, the true intellectual grasp of these uh, uh, of these uh, you know of these principles really really understanding what these ideas mean so you lift them up little by little so in other words you position the individual you give the person the tools that either an external catalyst will lead them to certain insights, or by themselves they'll get to certain insights. 
but you're a facilitator. You're not an imposer. And this is something that the Rambam talks about quite a lot in the Marne Bukhim. That, and it's no different, by the way, really it's no different than the way we're supposed to understand metaphysical ideas. Which is that you can't rush, as he said before, about the eating and you eat and then you throw up. Meaning you overstuff yourself, you try to go too far. The same principle that applies to you applies to other people. It's not really actually a different principle. Right? It's just, it's actually... I'm, I'm not sure which one it's harder to apply to. It's, uh, sometimes it's hard to apply to ourselves because we want to believe that we're the ones who can do it. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it, it's harder to apply to other people because we want to shake them out of their dogmatic um, uh, prison. You know? Right, it doesn't have to apply specifically to kids. I mean, right, he's saying any immature mind. Dogmatically thinking is going to fall under this principle. Uh huh. Yeah. And you, whenever you're dealing with somebody who uh, comes at a certain topic with particular premises that are obviously shaping their perception of what you're talking about, if you deviate from those premises too much, they can't really hear what you're saying anymore. So you have to try to work within the premises that they're working with to some extent and find some common ground in order to, 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 to allow them to grasp anything. Because if, they, if you completely undermine whatever premises they're coming to the discussion with, so then they're going to perceive what you're just speaking a different language. And yeah, and I, and I think that this is, this is something that happens a lot. Uh, very, very often. It just, the, the, you, people are coming from completely two different worlds and each one is just kind of just talking within their own context and there's just nothing gets achieved. Yeah, we've all had conversations like that or I've given classes where people ask questions and the questions are obviously based on uh, totally different premises or... Uh, the assumption that certain things are obviously self-evidently true will obviously X, Y, Z. You could see what the premise is. Premise might be wrong or might be um, overly naive or simplistic in their minds. But if you just attack the premise and you don't work within it, then they're not going to hear what you have to say. Um, and that's the, you know, and you can always tell. I I wouldn't say... You might not want to see it, but if you are willing to see it, you'll usually be able to tell when somebody asks a question that shows that they are, or somebody makes a statement that shows that they ha- they're operating with fundamentally different premises. And if you just contradict those premises, they're just going to think you're off the dirt. Exactly. They're not going to learn anything. And we've all seen that. We've seen that in our own community sometimes in conversations. Or in Shirim, where people ask certain questions that reveal right away that they're not really on the same page. And once you see that, you have to work within that. Otherwise, um, otherwise you're going to um, shake their foundations and they're not really going to... They're either going to say, oh, well, all this is nonsense anyway and I'll just leave the religion, which is bad for them. Or, uh, or, they're going to, um, or they're going to think that you are, have already left the religion, which also is bad dig for them. Dig their foot in more in their... Right, which also is bad for them because maybe you're the person who could help them if you found a connection with them and you could slowly help them. But because you came too hard, they uh, came on too strong with your rationalistic ideas, they, uh, they got spurned. And now they think that all rational people are extremists and anti-God and anti-Torah and whatever they think. So it's, you, don't, you don't want to do that. 
And I saw that myself because unfortunately in some circles of, you know, in, in, in some circles of the yeshiva that I was in, at least during my era, maybe I think it's gotten much, much better, but in, the, in my era when, when uh, most of the students were attracted, let's say to Rabbi Chait's yeshiva were coming from very yeshivish backgrounds, and they were their eyes were being opened to this very different way of thinking. All of a sudden, they wanted to challenge and argue against and battle against anyone who had a different idea. And they became very sharp and analytical in their thinking, but they didn't know how to uh, how to really convey an idea to somebody not operating in the same framework that they were. And that's that's a problem because then you become useless as an ambassador for your ideas because you, you can't find common ground with the people that need to hear that. It's a big problem. You know? Well said, Rabbi. Well said. That's, that's, that's a... But all right, let's go on. So easily done. Huh? To, to do this, though, it's, it's a tall task, I feel like. It's very, very difficult to try well, to convert these ideas to a different framework. If you listen to the if you listen to the other person, you can almost always find a common denominator that if you are willing to accept that premise that they have, uh, you could work within it. I find it, I, I I myself have many times been in conversations or given classes where there's some people that have maybe different idea different fundamental ideas and those people are troubled by certain things that I say or have questions or are coming from a different vantage point. And I find that if you're willing to accept their, you know, their premises or tweak them a little bit without them even realizing it, you can actually accomplish something. But what I think what it really requires is a lot of patience. And, um, and that's the main thing that the Rambam talks about in Moran Nebuchim, patience with yourself in your development. You're not going to wake up one day in the morning and be you know, the Vilna Gaon, it just doesn't happen. And on the other hand, you know, you're not going to make the other person into the Vilna Gaon either. It's going to take a long process. So if you're impatient and you just want to put your idea out there and expect that the guy's going to swallow it whole, then you're not really interested in their development because, and maybe you're not. I'm gonna, Sometimes it's almost You know, like but I'm saying, if you're having a conversation with them, maybe you are. It's more about making a war than it is about really... Yeah, or showing how smart you are, which is even worse. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I want to show how smart and knowledgeable they are, but it doesn't really work, by the way, because the other person just thinks that you're a heretic. It's not like they walk away saying, wow, that guy's so smart. And what gets achieved by them now? What? And nothing gets achieved by them. Right, all they they do is now they just lost their connection to the, they lost their trust in the one person who might have been able to help them get to a healthier perspective. You know, because you, you rattled them too much. You've got to be careful. I think it's really important. You know? This is such an important paradigm. Yeah, I mean, this idea is something that he... All of us have to hear this. All of us have to hear yeah. this. This is very important. Yeah. This but is this like is something that he speaks about a lot and also in reference to yourself. I, saw, I noticed that there was a footnote in here that he put... Um, uh, actually, it's not in this chapter. It's in the next chapter where he says... Uh, he says that, you know, because he talks about, he talks in the next chapter about the hard work that's necessary to develop an understanding of the true, the true concepts. And he says that, you know, 
he says in the footnote that um, that uh, people who are lazy they don't they see a great person and think that the reason why they're wise and they know so much is because they have some kind of miraculous ability and not because they actually invested time in learning. You know, it's a, he, the Rav Kafich, I'm saying, on the bottom. You know, he says in the footnote that um, he says, uh, they see an Adam Gadol, they don't realize that the person gave up pleasures and really devoted themselves and, you know, and invested so much time, right? They just think he has a miraculous ability. And he actually quotes the Ra'avad, which is very funny and ironic. Apparently the Ra'avad wrote to the Bala Ma'or, even though they didn't get along very well. But in one of his, one of his rejoinders to the Bala Ma'or, he said, you don't know how much sleep I lost and how much food I went spoiled while I was working and learning and trying to understand. Meaning a person who's really learning, it's a lot of work. It's the same thing as you see a performance of some... You watch, a, you watch a musical performance or you see a, 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 a theatrical, a movie. Do you know how many times they rehearsed that to see what you just did? What, you, what we just saw? You know? You know how many times a musician who plays something, how many times they practice that before you saw? Or let's say you see an athlete in the Olympics. Do you know how many times they practice? So certainly in the area of Torah, Kalavachomer, Ben Benoshal Kalavachomer, that, you know, you're, you're going into, it's not something that he woke up with one morning and, uh, and, and had this idea. It's something that takes an enormous amount of work. You know, so anyway, that, so that's the patience with yourself. Patience with other people, patience with yourself. Okay, so now he says, um, That's what I was saying. In other words, if you, if you're not just going to confuse the other person by giving these new ideas, you're going to make him a, a kofir b'torah because he's going to say the Torah that I saw was not really true. I was fed lies my whole life. My whole, my whole life was a lie, so therefore I should just abandon everything. He's not going to see a continuity, is the point, between what's written in the Torah and what you're telling him. Because you didn't give him a chance to evolve and develop into the, into the understanding that you're presenting. You're just throwing it on him and saying, oh, the way you're reading is totally, that's not what it means. You're totally wrong. So your whole understanding is wrong. Your whole concept of God is wrong. Your whole concept of the Torah is wrong. So then, you know, the guy's going to be shaken up. It's like try giving guy, uh, try giving a typical yeshiva guy one of Chacham Faur's articles, <laughs> right? The guy will be either the guy is going to be so offended, right? He, he, there, there are multiple, there are multiple things. Either he's going to say, "Wow, I guess all these rabbis are a bunch of uh, a bunch of political hacks, and this is all nonsense." Like the way that Faur kind of presents, you know, oh, all these anti Maimonidean uh, rabbis—they were all bad and the, the whole and, the, and the, the whole system is corrupt and therefore all rabbis are whatever they're going to think right or they're going to be they're going to say well this this chacham faor doesn't know anything well you know, he's not a chacham at all because he wrote all kind of nonsense about the balei tosafot and the ramban and rashba and everybody right you could a person who is you know who is on the you know who is firmly in one camp or the other won't be able to handle it I'm just giving that as an example of some. I'm trying to think of something that someone would read that like would shake them up, you know. And I, and I remember when I first read it, let's say twenty years ago, his writing or fifteen twenty years ago. It was I was like, what is he saying? You know, it shocked me. It took me a while to be able to 
come around to understand some of his points. I mean, he also writes in a very harif way, but but still, you know, it's like it definitely would rattle a person. So someone who was very attached to the yeshivish way of thinking and saw that and believed it would basically say my whole life is a lie. You know, on the other hand, the person who is, the other response would be that whatever Chacham Faur has to say is, is not worth it because he doesn't know anything because he said all kinds of bad things and I know that what I'm living is not a lie. So it's just not going to be good. Now, Now, it's like if you take a baby and try to feed the baby meat and bread, you'll kill the baby. Right? Not because the food is bad. Right? But because... We're not saying that this person is not able to... That this is not edible food. It's very good food. You give him, you give him kolbe. The, the, the one-month-old baby kolbe and wine and, you know, delicious bread. It's good food. But the problem is, The problem is that this person is too young to digest the food. See? In other words, his digestive system is now mature enough to be able to process what you're telling him. So you're telling him something that he can't digest. We even say that in English. We'll say, he can't. I'm trying to digest these ideas. You know? I'm trying to process it, to digest it. Which goes back to, you know, the Rambam... Also, when he talked about achal, he talked about that metaphor of achal being, right, deriving sustenance from the food. And if your life is really, um, is, is the spirit, the life of the mind, so then the food that you're feeding it is the ideas that you're feeding it. If your mind is not ready to process certain ideas, to digest them, we can use that metaphor here that he's using here. So then it's not that the ideas are bad, it's that you're just not ready to process it. You don't have the tools to digest it. So your body is going to reject, it's, it's not going to help you. It's going to be rejected by your system. And then you're going to end up losing out, be damaged by that. So is he saying that as a default, children are not ready to hear these kinds of ideas? No, he said if the child is very bright, you have to get a sense of where they're at. It's much more complicated. I, as somebody who's spoken with many people over many years now, um, every person is coming from their own point of departure. And uh, you have to gauge where they're coming from and work within their, uh, within their framework until their framework matures to a, to a better framework. It will mature, but you have to have a certain faith in their ability to, to evolve. And you have to take it slowly. And uh, over time, they will, they will evolve if you, give them, if you have patience. The idea of sometimes you need to rattle somebody, you know, to shake them out of that, you know, uh, zone that they might be at doesn't apply at all then. Meaning there's also this concept that sometimes people feel like you need to like shake someone up or, <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like, uh, like sometimes... Sometimes, like, a person needs to be a little bit shocked out of his system to mm-hmm. be able to... to Gain a new perspective. Yeah. In order I for guess. that... I think in order for... a totally bad idea in all cases. I think in order for that to ever work, there needs to already be a framework. Uh-huh. 
of some sort because otherwise the shock is not going to go anyway. Huh? It has to have somewhere to land. Yeah, what's going to happen to the guy? You know, you have to build a framework to some extent and then when you... um, when you identify for them, uh, look, you guys went on a certain journey yourselves. I think you started in a different place. You ended in a different place. So you yourself, I'm sure in the beginning of your journey away from where you started and towards where you are now, you encountered certain ideas that at first you were like, I, I can't accept that. That's, I don't understand where he's coming from. Like, how could that be? It's contrary to everything that I ever knew. And if that's true, then just I wouldn't be able to then, then what would everything that I'm doing even mean? And it's just, it can't be. Yep. And then now you look back and you're like, wow, I was a dummy back then. Now I see that it's out, you know, or whatever. You know, now I realize that I, that what I thought was the worst idea that, that undermined my whole emunah is now part of the, you know, the pillars of my emunah. Or it's one of the, the ideas that, you know, is fundamental to the way I see the world. I thought was contrary to the way uh, was correct to see the world. So since we ourselves have all gone through that, um, we can also, uh, we've all evolved ourselves. So I'm sure we all remember times that we saw certain ideas. I certainly know that I did. Uh, saw certain ideas at certain stages of development that I was not prepared to accept or didn't see how they would fit in. And then later on, not only accepted them, but uh, probably enshrined them as, you know, extremely important ideas that I couldn't live without, but that was over a long process. But we, we also, I think, most of us have this, you know, <clears throat> not regret, but wish that we hadn't been let down whatever other path we had been going so far. <clears throat> yeah. Had been turned around at an earlier stage. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. You can't know. Because it just made the disillusionment so much more severe when it happens. Are you feeling pain now? No. Okay, so then you're good. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, you're ready when you're ready, I guess. Yeah. That's the way it works. You came to it when you were ready to see it. You wouldn't be where you are now if you weren't ready. And if you were just dogmatically educated in a different way, you'd be just as dogmatic as you were the other way, just that you wouldn't realize it. You know, it's not like... it's If it doesn't come from a natural process of education, it's dogma either way. And the Rambam talks about that. He says, if you think something is absolutely true, but you have no proof for it, even though you might be right about the thing that, you, that X equals 10 in the equation, if you don't know how to get it, then you'd... Then, then, then you, and, and you know, then you, you didn't really, didn't really prove it. You just, you just, you're just accepting it like anybody accepts any idea. You just happen to be right. You know, it's like, it's like if you pick the right lotto numbers, it doesn't, and you have as much money as Warren Buffett, you're not Warren Buffett. I'm so sorry. I just have to use the restroom for one. No, second. go ahead. I'm so sorry. No problem. But I, you know, I hear what you're saying about you know, it's, you feel like. Look, the, dis- the disillusionment, everyone experiences a certain measure of disillusionment, but it's not a, um, it's a, throughout life, you're going to experience that at different stages, because I think that even now, what you think that you've reached a certain plateau in your understanding, but even that will be challenged at further stages of your growth, and you'll be shaken up again, and, uh, 
So it's not like um, it's not like that's over. That aspect is not over. What uh, what would have happened differently if you had been educated differently is you just would have been isolated from. You wouldn't have gone through that process to be able to appreciate what you had. You just would have been given it. So I'm not sure that that's necessarily better. Yeah, that 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 process is probably more key than the information. Yeah. Also now, look, you can actually understand the Rambam, Rambam better because you went through something so obviously transformational. I didn't really go... I was never like really in the uh, Haredi world. I was, I was more... I definitely had different... I definitely have changed a lot and have had ideas 30 years ago that now I would not not agree with and I had ideas 10 years ago that I would disagree with probably um, that now I would see differently and in some ways probably fundamentally but um, because I was, you know, my education was... Definitely with a Maimonidean bent, but also with a uh, with a different concept of halacha that was more of a uh, more very, more Lithuanian, and uh, and that influenced the way that I thought about halacha for a long time. And also, I think certain ideas about hashkacha that took me a long time to understand, and about nivuah that took me a long time to understand, uh, because I now looking back, I might see. Hints to the correct understanding, even in things that my teachers said years ago, but I didn't, uh, I wasn't ready for them. So I didn't see them at the time. And then it falls into place. And then later on, when you're ready for it, you say, oh, well, that's why he said that kind of unusual, he formulated things so deliberately in that unusual way, because he was trying to hint that, you know, that there was something more to it. But at the time, I just kind of said, I don't know, why, why is he saying that, you know? Why is he saying that in a funny way? But that, that was just very good and gentle education. Yeah, planting a seed, I guess. Yeah. You plant the seed and you uh, hopefully, eventually the seeds grow. And not everybody is going to, uh, not in every person that you plant the seed is the, plant, is, is the resulting uh, growth going to be the same. Some people, those seeds will die in the ground and they will never germinate. And some they'll grow a little bit and some they will grow tall. You know, if you don't know. All of this basically lends to, this is stuff that needs to be kind of learned one-on-one as the mora is supposed to be learned and not in in mass. Because it has to be... He's going to talk about that in this chapter, actually. He talked about that concept that he... um, that he, uh, that, you know, that, that really an individual has to come to it on their own and it's a one-on-one basis. He's going to talk about that in the next uh, part. That the, uh, that it's, um, that since it's so individ- dependent upon the individual, so if they don't, um, you know, th- so you can, the best you can do is equip a person and be a resource for a person to, go through their developmental process, you can never really impose on a person the end result. You know, it's always going to be gradual. That's what it means. Hashem is Erech Hapaim and has, you know, and, and he's Balarach Hamim, that he, you know, he, he, work, he allows us to develop gradually. 
it's not a an all or nothing emet only type of deal because we're not ready. We wouldn't be able to exist that way. We have to. So this, sorry, I, I, I might I might be connecting it wrong. So this is kind of like what it alludes to when it talks about uh, the teacher gives over Rashi Pirakim. Right. That's what he's going to talk about in a second. He talked about that in this chapter. Yeah. He says it has to be in somebody who's mevin midato. Right? So he's going to say that, that, that there's two aspects to mevin midato. One is it has to be a person who has the uh, training that's necessary, which is underest- vastly underestimated, the training that's necessary to be able to understand the subject. One of the most frustrating things I found in dealing with anybody talking about any theological thing or any philosophical thing is they lack the basic tools to have a logical discussion. And, they, and, and since they are not familiar with logic, you can't even really counter them on a logical basis because they don't know anything about logic. And they will violate every fallacy and every, uh, every incorrect type of a syllogism. They will put every argument that is totally logically invalid, but they won't even be able to see it because they don't have any background in, in logic or anything like that. And that's a very basic thing. Or if a person doesn't know science then at all, so then you can't really show them from scientific standpoint any ideas. They won't understand it. They won't get it. You know? But anyway, so let's continue now that Ben's back because um Sorry about No. We were just having a sidebar conversation. Jordan messaged, me, Jordan messaged me that he missed his train and he just got home. He apologizes. Said he'll catch the recording next week. Okay. We'll continue next week, hopefully. So, so personally, I kind of like it when it's smaller. Person. Yeah, it's good because we can have this as an, and it's much better. And then whoever wants to listen in on our our discussion will listen in. It's better actually. Um, that's exactly what he talks about. Anyway, so he says about uh, okay. Um, quote, so um, It's not that these these ideas are bad. Right? It's not that the ideas are bad. Right? Um, it's not because they contradict the fundamentals of the religion, the true ideas. Like the full digital thing. And the people who think they understand, which are, which Rav Kafich says on the bottom, is basically anyone who's been appointed as a rabbi <laughs> who thinks that they are, uh, thinks they know. But we know there's a lot of preachers, basically, the Rambam will talk about these preachers that um, really their, their understanding of the ideas that they're speaking about is so low. He talks about it in Ma'amar Tchiyat Metim and in, um, in, in also in uh, the, uh, what's it called? Um, the Igeratem, uh, is it the Igeratemán? Where he talks about how people that really don't understand that are basically living in a world of mid- literal midrashim, they don't really understand the depths of, uh, of, uh, of the ideas that they're speaking of, and they've appointed themselves authorities superior to the Rambam, you know? So it's like, that, that's part of the difficulty. But like, let's say for example, you say to a person, if I say to you, you guys, who are at the level that you are, the, uh, the story, it doesn't matter whether the story of Gan Eden ever happened or not. Doesn't matter. The idea of the story is just as true. 
whether it's a parable or whether it happened. It doesn't matter. You might be able to accept that. Yeah. But most people would say that's totally, what are you talking about? So where does it end? In the Devar Sof, so the whole thing is made up then. You know? Or like, if I told you that six days of creation is really billions of years, and it's Adam that there's stages of the creation unfolding, which happen to mirror the scientific understanding of the unfolding of creation, just not on the time scale. Right? And, and therefore, so that we can have a concept of what, that, what those stages mean, and we can have a Shabbat, therefore the Torah speaks in that language, but it's not really six days. It's really stages, and it's really built on the metaphor of our life being a six day followed by a Shabbat. You could say, okay, that's totally, that's fine. You guys are ready for that idea. But there are a lot of people who are not. Okay? If you told them that really, if I told you that Avram Avinu, and by the way, I'm not saying any of these are definitely true. I'm just throwing these out as ideas that could be. Right? Let's say I told you that the three Malachim came to Avram Avinu, it's all a dream. And that really what happened was that that was a dream that was meant to explain to Avraham, or maybe also to Sarah, who maybe had that same nevuah. It's not clear. But the whole purpose of it was that they should understand the reason why they were going to be the uh, progenitors of a nation that was great, because they, were, they loved tzedakah mishpat, because of their achnasat urchim, and because of their, and, and so that they should understand the mishpat Hashem in Sodom and all of that that it was all about explaining to them why they should be the parents of this great nation that was going to be a, a, a nation of tzedek and mishpat. And that really what happened was that Lot surreptitiously happened to be out of town with his two daughters at the time that Sodom and Amorah were destroyed by fire and brimstone. And that the nevuah of Avram Avinu shows that to us in a dramatic scene whereby Lot is saved by Malachim that, pull it, that blind everybody outside and then get him and his daughters to run out and escape to another city, that that is just a prophetic, metaphoric description of what happened from the divine perspective. That's what happened, that God took Lot out of Sodom. But actually, that's just a divine perspective being shown to Avram Avinu in a dream. In reality, what happened was that he went to Home Depot for some, something and then when he came back, the whole place was on fire. And so he went to the cave. I'm just, you know, that's a possible explanation. I'm not saying that that's correct. Gotcha. Right? But I'm saying if I told you that, and I told you that it doesn't diminish one iota from my emunah and the Torah to believe that, in, that interpretation. Okay? Because that's just, that's saying the Torah is 100% true. It's just, a, it's a nivu'ah. Nivu'ah is also true. Not only material things are real. Ideas are just as real. They're more real. And so therefore, if that's the idea behind it, that's more real than the material of what happened, that, uh, that he went to go get a coffee, and then by the time he get back, uh, Sodom and Amorah was destroyed. Who cares? It's showing you the reason why the Zechud he had was that he also did Hachnasat Orchim, that he also partook of the uh, way of Avraham Avinu. So therefore, he welcomed the Malachim into his home. Okay? Maybe a little more begrudgingly than Abraham, but there was something there, so therefore he had that Zechud. Right? So, okay, that's, that's being expressed to us in a dramatic story. But that's, you know, that wouldn't bother me. Wouldn't, maybe it would bother you. I'm not sure, but I don't think so. Right? So why? Because the, I, it, the idea is what's true. 
And it's, it's not about, the, it's, again, it goes back to the thing that if you think physical bodies and material things are more real than ideas, it's much harder. But if you believe that ideas are the ultimate reality, then it's, it's easy to believe that. And the principle to remember is that emunah means that the Torah is true, not that it's literal. Being true and literal are not the same thing. Okay, so the, so the Torah speaks to me on one level. I read the story and I say, wow, Abraham Avinu is such a great machnis orchim, and so is Sarai Menu, and Lot is a level B. He's not so great, but he has something, you know. So uh, he's also good, and therefore Hashem told Abraham this, and, and Hashem then sent Malachim to save Lot, and also he demonstrated his fidelity to the principles of Abraham Avinu and his Achnasar Orchim, so they also took him out. That's also true. That could also be a way of reading the story. It's totally fine. There's, there's no problem with either reading of the story. You read it as a story that happened in uh, real time, or you read it as a story that happened in the dream of Avraham Avinu. It's exactly the same thing from a conceptual perspective. That's, so that doesn't bother you, but try telling that to someone who's a yeshivish person, they'll think you're totally off your rocker. Yeah. Aside from being a heretic. Do you know? They won't be able to accept it. They won't be able to accept it. But if you tell them some bizarre Kabbalistic thing about those malachim, they'll believe it. But if you tell them that, okay, I'll tell you a bizarre thing. It was all a dream. They wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you know? They're, because why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because something, something supernatural and miraculous that occurs in the physical world or in the olama malachim that they imagine as a kind of a physical world in their imagination, that is impressive. But ideas are not impressive. Ideas are not impressive. You know? And that's the, that's, that's, that's the problem. That's what the Rambam says. I told you before, many times I quoted to you, it's later in the Moran of we're going to see. Believe that one day, we'll get there. But the, uh, the very famous passage that, uh, I showed it to Rabbi Biton one time, I remember. But I, I know I've spoken about it with you guys also. Where the Rambam says, if you tell a person that a malach is present at the conception of a child, they will believe it, they will love it. Wow, a malach comes at the conception of a child. Even though they believe that the malach is as big as the, a third of the universe, and that the malach is made of fire and ice and all of these things, they still believe the malach was there at the time that the baby was born. And they'll say, wow, that's miniflaota bore. That's like uh, incredible that Hashem brings a malach at that time. But if you tell them that the malach is that God put this incredible ability in the, in the sperm of the man to create a child, okay, inside the woman's body, and that that's the malach that Hashem designed. A force. Then. Right, that that's the force of nature that God enabled us to reproduce, which is really incredible. If you think about the science that goes into it, if you think about now, we know even more than they did how it works. How the chromosomes from each parent, the half of the chromosomes from the father, half the chromosomes from the mother, they form together, they combine together into a single set of chromosomes of, you know, half from one parent, half from the other. And one cell ends up continuing to grow until it becomes an entire living child. That's not a miracle. That's not amazing. No, it's not amazing. But the malach, that's, half, that's a third of the size of the universe going into the uterus of the woman. Now that's amazing. Right? So that's, that's what the Rambam says. That's the problem with uh, people don't see the beauty in 
God's design, in the, in the chokhmah of God's design. They only see, it's like a person who only likes movies that have a lot of special effects. But a movie that has like a really good message to it, or great writing, or great acting from a, you know, from a, a more refined perspective, that they won't appreciate that. But great special effects, wow. Right, it's the same thing. I like that analogy. Yeah, it's the same thing. I like that. Uh, they actually go, they do go together in reality, those two, yeah. those two pairings. Yeah, it's the same thing. There are some movies that are terrible on certain, especially if they're older movies. They're terrible on special effects. The special effects are like laughable by our standards now, but the content of the movie might be a billion times better than what you have now. You know? Look at the garbage music of today. Now I really sound old. You know? Wait, you were, to say that the music of the current young generation is garbage. Otherwise, you can't. Uh, you don't have the status of being middle aged, you know. But it's like middle aged also. Yeah, but it's like I'm not talking about all music. There is some good music still being made, but I'm saying it's become like this weird, you know, computer generated weird stuff. I don't even know what they're doing anymore, um, and it's more about about. Uh, Again, like shock value or whatever than it is about real quality in many circles. I wouldn't say all music is that's not true of all. There are some real artists out there, but anyway, the point is somebody who's interested in the surface stuff, the the fight scenes of the movie, the special effects, versus somebody who's interested in the content of the message. That's what we're talking about. Now and and that's what he's saying really. What they're ready for. It says, it's not because it contradicts the fundamentals of the Torah. Like many people would for sure tell me. I'm sure. I'm 100% sure. It doesn't matter if I have a title of rabbi or whatever. There are people who, who would say to me, you don't know what you're talking about. If I told them that interpretation of Abraham's dream that I just told you. Right? They would say, you're, you're totally wrong. Every rabbi would say that's wrong. I heard from every other rabbi that's not true. And I've read in every book at the Tantra. They wouldn't be able to accept it. So, it's, the reason why the Torah hid it was because it's not, a person not able to understand it in the beginning. And we could see why. The real meaning is much more abstract and deeper than the surface meaning. Okay? If you bypass the surface meaning... You're going, to mar- you're going to exclude the people who can't ab- ex- access the abstract meaning. So you can't bypass it. Okay? But, but a person who's a chacham should seek to get to the deeper meaning. Because to me at least, and I think to you also, and to many of our, those who are going to listen to the recording, the deeper meaning is much more compelling and interesting than the surface meaning. You know, it's much more, it has much more to say than the surface meaning. But you can't just bypass it because most people won't, will, will lose you. They will lose you at that point. Um, and it's not that the surface meaning contradicts. That's why I use the examples of, let's say, Avram Avinu. A simple person, I'm not saying a simple like a stupid person, I mean like an average person. That they read the story, they can also get a lot of the messages and a lot of the ideas that you would get from the more metaphoric reading of that story that the Rambam suggests. It's just that one of them takes out all of the 
special effects of the story and is saying to you that the purpose of the story is really to teach you ideas and not necessarily to tell you exactly what happened the way that it happened. Okay? And the other one is teaching it to you through the story itself. When we were in Israel last year, we had a saying for this before COVID. But when I went with those guys, with the guys to Israel, I told, I gave them the example of the boy who cried wolf, which is my favorite example of a parable that everyone knows. And if a person hears the story of the boy who cried wolf, you know the story. So if you ask somebody, what is that story about? And they say, well, it, it, it's about if you're watching sheep, you shouldn't cry wolf too many times because people won't come. Right? That's not the meaning of the story. It has nothing to do with wolves and it has nothing to do with sheep. Right? It, the point of the story is if you are not honest, if you are a dishonest person, then even when you're telling the truth, nobody will believe you. Right? That's, that, that's, that's the point of the story. But if you focus on the details, you're missing the point. And the Rambam talks about that in Moran Bukhim all the time. And so they started calling it anytime somebody would, would be discussing Midrashim and somebody would focus on the details, they'd say, you're focusing on the wolf. You're focusing on the wolf. Don't focus on the wolf. That was our saying in Israel, meaning whenever a person was focusing on the surface meaning instead of the deeper meaning, they'd say, don't worry about the wolf. Don't focus on the wolf. Meaning, don't focus on the surface. Look at the deeper meaning. But most, for most people, the wolf is more real than the idea behind the story. The, the, the shell falls away as you get older from those stories, but it doesn't fall away from the stories of the Torah so easily. You know? He says, okay, so... So they spoke about them in hints. That's why they're called Sodot and Sitraitwa. They're the hidden aspects of the Torah. Not because they're bad, but because only a Chacham will understand them as they delve in. They're hidden underneath the surface. That's why the Torah speaks in the language of people. So that the average person can understand... But the above average person or the person who is seeking more will be able to understand more. The reason why the Torah is written that way is so that everybody, even the less educated, and he says here, the young people, the women, generally, humanity in general. The real meaning is to have advanced. And, I, and if you think to the ideas I'm telling you, I gave those examples just to give examples, but there are so many more. But if you think to the examples I'm telling you, Gan Eden, what the real meaning of Gan Eden is, okay, it's really about human nature. Okay, or about the Breshit. It's really about the order in God's creation, the fact that everything's created. It's not really a story about what God created on specific 24-hour days. Or the story of Avram Avinu, if you're going to accept what the Rambam says, that it's really Maren that's where you're pushing it a little bit. It's a little bit harder for people to accept that. But it's what the Rambam says. All of these things, the ideas are much more abstract than the story. So it's easier for people to take the story. So they, 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 uh, they, therefore the Torah allowed them to just what the Torah provided them was the true emunot that they should validate and they should accept. 
כלפי מציאותה, או כלפי מציאותה, really, right? כלפי מציאותה, so it's saying that, that really the, um, that they should know certain ideas about, uh, that are true, even if they don't understand, לא כפי אמיתת מהותה, not according to how it truly is, it's true nature, but it, for example, everybody should know that there's such a thing as השכחה פרטית. Everybody should know there's such a thing as nivu'ah. Everybody should know that. There's such a thing as prophecy, there's such a thing as divine providence. Right? What exactly those are and how they work? Different story. Maybe very different from the, what the average person supposes they are. But, you know, that's the... Uh, Like the Rambam is very emphatic, and I also am very emphatic uh, when, when we started that the Rambam is a big believer that the main vehicle of Hashkacha is actually Nivu'ah, they're really connected, and that actually the primary vehicle of, prof, of, of divine intervention or, or Hashkacha is really the mind of the human being and, it, and it, his or her ability to understand and to live differently or to apply wisdom to their life. That's the primary Hashkacha that God gives. And the Rambam talks about that in many ways, in many places, many places. But he also says it, even in the Mishneh Torah, but in hidden ways. So if you look when he talks about uh, in Ilchot Teshuvah, when he talks about uh, that Hashem guides people to Teshuvah, he says, and he says, which means that what? He sent Nevi'im to teach them. That's what it means. Okay, meaning that the real, what, is, what does it mean that Hashem facilitates the tshuva? It means that He gave you the means to do it. So that idea maybe is a little advanced and scary for ordinary uh, people. But the, but the idea of Hashkech HaPratit and the idea of Nevoah and God's existence, even though the term existence might mean something not as defined, well-defined to the average person, these things they have to accept. That's the foundation. וכאשר מגיע אדם לשלמות ונמסרו לו סטרי תורה עם מזולתו ועם מעצמו כאשר יראו דבר דבר. He says, then when the person advances and either they have a teacher that points out certain ideas to them or they have a, um, or they find it themselves, יגיע לדרגה שיתאמתו לו אותן הדעות האמיתיות בדרכי העימות הנכוני. He says, then, when the person reaches it, they'll be able to demonstrate those ideas with the proper method, method of demonstrating them and, of course, understand them, right? Or with strong arguments and evidence. Right? I think that's even the more important thing for our perspective, right? In other words, he'll understand them for what they really are. He'll understand the Mishalim. He'll get out of the imaginary view of Hashkacha Pratit is, uh, is superpowers, okay, and magic. And he'll advance to a deeper understanding of those Mishalim and a deeper understanding of the concepts that's more sophisticated out of the framework of imagination and understand what they truly are and prove what's able to be proven about God and not just believe in it, okay? That's much more advanced. But obviously... If we expected that standard of every person, 99% of people wouldn't be able to have anything. Because they, they wouldn't be able to understand these abstract ideas. So therefore the Torah speaks to them, conveys the ideas to them through a medium that's accessible to any person. 
so that the individuals who are ready to advance further will advance further when they're prepared to do so or when the teacher sees that they're ready to do. Like I mentioned to you many times, I think I mentioned to Jacob before when you were, when Bensi were stepped away, but many times I later on in life came upon certain ideas that understood things and I, I myself have definitely evolved over my 30 plus years of, of being involved in learning where ideas that I had in my immature stage, I would now look back at being as being very, very rudimentary. And even 10 years ago or five years ago, I'm sure there are ideas I've revised many times, but the, uh, and have changed and evolved. But many times I would look back and realize that something that one of my teachers said 10 years ago, 20 years ago, actually was hinting to this idea that I now understood but at the time, it went over my head, or I thought it was just weird that they were saying it. It was odd the way they were formulating it. And then looking back, I would see that they were giving a hint, they were planting a seed that I would later see was, uh, you know, I would later perceive as, uh, you know, shedding light on something that I discovered at a further stage of my development. Because they were so careful to formulate things a certain way, say things a certain way, or add a certain phrase or subtract or a certain way that they were presented that I thought was just like idiosyncrasy at the time, but later on realized it was very deliberate to pave the way towards a certain way of looking at things that I wouldn't have seen at that time. I wasn't ready to see, so I didn't see it. I just thought it was weird. And then later realized. And so he says, um, and you, I've already repeated many times the famous saying of the rabbis that we don't do, we don't learn the Merkava, we don't learn the Maseh uh, Merkava with an individual. We don't teach it to him directly unless he is a Chacham or Mevin Midato. He's a wise person who understands on his own. And as Mosrin lo Rashi Then we give him the Rashi Prakim, the general sense of what, what direction to go in. Rashef Rakim means that we give certain, uh, certain ideas that are, um, what literally means chapter headings, but it basically means guiding um, overarching themes that you should be looking for in your, um, in your search in these areas that only a person who is a master of those areas would be able to give you. And actually in Masachet Chagiga, when it talks about the Arba Ashenich Nusudah Pardes, it says that Rabbi Akiva basically was hinting to his colleagues certain ideas that were, uh, you know, certain uh, things to avoid, certain misunderstandings to avoid that were a uh, type of Rashi Prakim that he was, he was handing over to them. So, um, so in the same way, uh, when, when you're learning something, be like, you know, look out for this error that you might make or you're going to find out that, you know, a certain clarification in this area or that area would be giving Rashi Prakim to the uh, to the person who's in a in a search, but without giving them any um, without giving them any substance of the area. Okay, but something that again, like one of these cryptic messages that would kind of guide their guide and then validate an eventual discovery. Like, uh, it's like the um, it's like the Ramchal says in Mesilat uh, Shari, where he says, you know, think of life life as a labyrinth, you know. A person can, you know, the labyrinth, those big mazes, those elaborate mazes, and a person who hasn't ever made it through, so a person who made it through already can give them, 
instructions on how to get through the labyrinth. Right? Because they're not, they, but the a person who doesn't have any direction will be lost in the labyrinth. And so in the same way, when, he's talking about personal development there, but it's also true. It's also true. But, the, um, but in the area of learning, it's true too. Uh, that a person who's been through it can then leave hints along the way for the person who's growing so that they, if, and, and the nature of those hints is that if the person arrives at the idea, they will see the meaning of the hint and it will, uh, it will complete their understanding, help them to complete their understanding. And if, it, if they're not ready for it, it won't mean anything to them. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's what the Roshay Prakima. So, uh, Anyway, so he says, You shouldn't open up a discussion about these areas unless the person's ready for it. Only with two conditions. It said what? What's the difference? Chacham means, First of all, he has to know all the sciences that are, pre, uh, that are precursors, which for the Rambam, of course, is the science of logic, as well as the, the science of uh, nature, that, as what they knew at that time, and the philosophy that they knew at that time. And of course, the Torah also. You have to know all those things. Also to be a person who's bright, who can understand things on his own. He has a quick mind, and he has a clear mind, and therefore he's able to grasp something with a small hint. And this is the meaning of what they said, he understands from his own mind. So now he's going to say, I'm going to explain to you now, What is the, that which prevents us from educating people on these more advanced levels of understanding? And that this is a necessary thing? It's a It can only be this way and not any other way. So the next chapter is going to explain all of the difficulties and obstacles and the proper understanding. In other words, we described it in a general way, right? We, we described it in a general way when we gave, and I'm sure everyone had in their mind their own example of that person, you know, or that group of people that I've had discussions with that were so ob- obtuse and, you know, stuck in their dogmatic framework that they weren't able to hear what I was saying or they were very resistant to it, right? But now he's going to explain why it is that um, that the average person can't enter into these areas and isn't able to uh, isn't able to start with a uh, with an understanding of these areas. Why it's necessarily a gradual process. It's not just that it's it's not that oh ha, like halavai we could bypass the process and just get to the end. You know, let's just look in the back of the book for what the answer is. You know, what what why do we need to? Uh, why do we need to go through the whole process? He's going to explain that the process is necessary. And since the process is necessary uh, and not everyone is going to be able to go through the process, therefore, uh, most people are not ever going to get to the uh, ultimate understanding. And for most of them, the simple uh, level of Adam is going to be their level or something a little bit more sophisticated than that maybe, but not what the Rambam is talking about in Moray Something much less than that. So, that, and he'll explain in the next chapter what the things are that prevent people from advancing in this, that it has to be so difficult. It's not, a, it's not like we're trying to stop them from, uh, from gaining access to some 
secrets that are going to, uh, you know, that are that are against, uh, you know, th- that are somehow, like you said, bad or we're hiding something bad. We're hiding something, you know, we're hiding something controversial. It's not that. It's just that they're not ready to understand it. So it, and because it requires a gradual process to be able to. Just like you could see your kids now and be like, I'd love to tell them what I'm learning about in Moana Bukhim, but they wouldn't understand a word I'm saying. You know, they wouldn't understand it. In the future, they could understand it. If you had learned this 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, whatever, you also would have said, like, what is he talking about, you know? Now you look back, you say, oh, that was me back then. If I were to go on a time machine back to then and talk to myself a decade and a half ago, would I be able to talk sense into myself? Maybe not. You needed to go on this journey to get to this point to be able to, 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 to understand it. So then that's what he's going to explain what the reasons are for that in the next uh, chapter. But, the, but you know, the basic, basic reason is that it's a long process to get there. And there's no way to bypass it. And most people are not committed enough to the process to be willing to do it. If you told them all the secrets were in a, written in an envelope, they would want to open it and see what the secrets are. But to get there... Through toil and effort, they're not going to be willing to do it. Not going to be willing to do it. Like he says later, he says, you know, if you would wake somebody up in the middle of the night and wanted to reveal to them the secrets, you know, they would say, sure, tell me right now. I want to know. But if you told them it would take a year or 10 years or 20 years, they would say, forget it. So it's exciting to know if it's quick, but anything that's not instant gratification, count me out. So some things haven't changed, that's for sure. And what is it that's so beautiful about the simple reading of Midrashim or the simple reading of inspirational literature, uh, religious literature, or the simple presentation of theological ideas by the preacher types of rabbis? It's self-evident. It's, it's so simple. It speaks right to the heart. It speaks right to the surface level of my mind. It, it doesn't require, it doesn't demand of me any effort. That's why it's so appealing. Everything is so clear. It's black and white. You go this way, you're gonna to go to you're gonna to go to Gan Eden. You go the other way, you're going the other place. It's so so easy. You know? There are malachim everywhere. Everything I do, God is directing it. If I if I if I miss my train, it's not because I'm a disorganized uh, uh, guy. I'm not saying about Jordan misses train, but I don't, he was probably busy at work. But I'm saying, you know, but a person who is you know a person who is dis, it's not because they're disorganized and they're you know they're running late and this, it's because they. Uh, you know, it's, it's because Hashem willed it that they missed the train. It was, you know, all of those things that people think. What Hashem willed is that the people who are disorganized and unprepared should be behind the people who are organized and prepared. That is true. You know, but he didn't specifically will that you missed the train, you know. But that's very hard. Most people like to believe that. Every little detail is, you know, is, is, is Hashkacha. Now, look at the beauty of that, though. You can agree with that. You know? In other words... What? You don't have to contradict that idea. You could... If you're having a conversation with someone, you don't have to say... It's not false. You can say, yeah, there's a shkachaprati. You're right. Hashem did will for it to happen. It's just that you're... What you mean is something different than what they mean. Yes, I got you. You know? It's like they had this mug that said, you know... I don't know if you ever saw this. It became a meme, but I saw it on a coffee mug. It said, "Things happen for everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is that you're foolish and you make bad decisions. 
You know? Okay. Yeah. So like the that's most of the time. Uh, yeah. So the that so when someone says, "Oh, everything is hashkachah," it's true. Everything is hashkachah. It's just that what I mean when I say hashkachah is that God created the world by chokhmah, and when I live foolishly, I suffer. That's also hashkachah. It's the same. What they mean is, you know, m- you know, is magical wonders, and what you mean is something more abstract. But you, it's not not true what they're saying. That's a perfect example of what the Rambam is talking about. When it says Hashem did this and Hashem did that, Hashem put this idea in the guy's mind. Hashem uh, uh, put this in David's mind. He in, to, or Hashem uh, caused the wind to blow. Or Hashem caused the... It doesn't, you know... To, to, that could just mean it, it's nature. See, that, that's also Hashem. That's also Hashem, Sashkacha, working. It's just that they see whenever it says Hashem did this or Hashem did that, that it means a miracle every time. It has to be a surpassed nature. Right, right. Because they don't appreciate the chokhmah of nature as Hashem's hashkacha. Because that's too abstract. And it's not special effects. They need special effects. The Rambam talks about it later also, where he talks about it, I mean, in the really advanced parts of the Morah that are really hard. But he talks about that also, that that God causing something... That, you know, doesn't mean what the simple person thinks it means. And you know what's interesting is that the, one of the people who understood this idea was Spinoza, actually. Because he talks about it in, the, in his book, not in the ethics, in the other book, when he talks about the Bible. He says the Hebrew Bible attributes natural phenomena to God and says that God caused it. God did it. He's right. He's 100% right. And he brings all these examples where he's 100% right. But to, and actually... I wanted to say, you know, that book uh, that uh, I should have mentioned this in the beginning. That book, uh, God and uh, Politics, in uh, in the Book of Esther, by Yoram Hazoni. Hazoni, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever read it? Love it. <laughs> Incredible book. I I never read a book. I cannot think of one book, English Judaica book, that I don't remember disagreeing with one thing I read in the entire book. Even the parts with Yosef? It was okay, you know. But I'm saying the fundamentals of the book. I'm saying the the fundamentals of the book that he says, the the concept of Hashkacha that he has and the idea how that expresses itself in Esther. I think I was saying the same thing when we learned um, the book of Esther and we learned the Midrashim of Esther. That the whole idea was that the that the hashkacha was expressed through the actions of the wise people. That's what the hashkacha is in the book of Esther, and that's why it's considered the pinnacle of all the chagit. If you want to learn Nisim, learn Esther. That he even brought that that chazam. Meaning a real the real miracle is that we have the ability to 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 make decisions based on chokhman to and to succeed and to redeem ourselves. And Sadikim and Chachamim can do it without open miracles. Just by applying chokhmah to the situation. You know, that was what I talked about in the article that I wrote for the SBM for this past Purim. Bekitsur, I wrote about it in a short version. But I, I know when I've taught the book of Esther for the past several years, and, I'm, and I think when we did that Midrash of Mar Nebuchim, and Esther also talked about it, that that's the whole idea of Purim. That, uh, and, and he had that idea. And it's so rare to read somebody who's more, he's not really an academic, but I guess he's a mix, 
um, writing not from a rabbinical standpoint or anything like that with such an accurate understanding of, of Ashkacha. I was, I was so surprised. Did you enjoy his book, uh, The Philosophy of the Evil? I didn't get it yet. I want to read it. I, I haven't read it yet, but I was so impressed by this book. I was, I was really impressed. I was really surprised at how far it went in, um, in, a, in accordance with the way I had thought about it. But he doesn't even mention the Rambam at all, barely. Yeah, it's totally like he just... He mentions Rashi so and, and Chazal and all that. Yeah. He, do, he doesn't mention... I mean, that's great that he does that actually in a way because it actually... Um, Chazal is a lot in the book. A lot. He brings a lot of Midrashim. He translates it, he interprets it. He interprets the Midrashim very intelligently. Yeah. Very intelligently. You know, obviously Midrashim can be subject to a variety of interpretations, but he, he his interpretations are in the right methodology, yep. you know, and, um, and his, uh, his understanding of the book of Esther, I think is hundred percent spot on. I think a lot of it overlapped with things that I said about the book of Esther too. Not that that makes them more true, but I'm just saying, I'm just surprised to see in a book, such a, just a book of a person, just an outsider, so to speak of the, you know, have to have such an accurate understanding of Hashkachah based on the Rambam's understanding, I was just, I was really, I was really surprised. And he really argues for it very stridently. Like this is the real understanding of Hashkachah, and uh, that the that the Tanakh. This is what the Tanakh's concept of Hashkachah is, and that's why actions done by people are attributed to God throughout the Tanakh all the time. Because I, think you would enjoy the philosophy I have to read it. I have to know. I, I read this book, I, I didn't read it by, I was reading it on Purim, but I didn't finish until like a week after. I was so impressed with it. Uh, I, I definitely want to uh, read his other work. He also has The Virtue of Nationalism, not a religious book. No, I have, yeah. Uh, there is a religious aspect to it, but it's more about the idea of nationalism, oh. the virtue of I'm, Yeah, I'm interested in his work now because it really like, uh, it really, it, it seems so along the lines that we've been talking for the past several years in terms of understanding the Rambam and especially the book of Esther, which I so agree with his whole thesis on it and, uh, and how it re- th- th- that's how you can understand. There were so many more things he could have tied into it. That was my only disappointment. Like I wanted to, I wanted to add to what he said because our, I, our basic approach converged so much, but he brought a lot of sources that I haven't brought before. And I would have made some connections that he didn't bring. It would have been a nice combination. I, I, because, for example, he didn't tie it into a lot of the halachot of Purim that also uh, fit with his concept and uh, and just uh, and the idea that like um, that uh, that the Ram, he, one thing that I think is interesting that he didn't mention is that um, the milchemet amalek even in the Torah is a, is, a, is a milchama without a miracle. And that, you know, and that's part of the, uh, that's part of the idea that I, he had the idea that the Milchemet Amalek is showing that the Jewish people use their political means in order to accomplish a metaphysical goal. That he had, and that that, but, but that actually is what Milchemet Amalek is partially about. But anyway, it was, it was very, very interesting. I, I like the book a lot, and, um... And it was it, it was certainly true in its understanding of Esther, and that's why the Rambam says that it's the only book that is. I mean, the Gushalmi actually, you know, that's going to be forever. It's never all the other books of Navi will be gone, but it will be forever because it's uh, so essential.
yeah. yeah, very good book. Yeah. I should send him the what we did on it and see what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's accessible. He'll... Is he also? Yeah, he's accessible. Oh, maybe I'll write to him and show him some of the stuff that we've done and see what he thinks. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. All right. Next week this time, 9 o'clock? Yeah, this is good. This is a good time. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Robert. And then, more, and then, uh, and then, in Cholamoyed, we could even have a sure if people are available because it's not Yom Tov. Yom Tov is uh, is Shabbat Sunday, right? Yep. The end. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll see you guys. Oh, oh! By the way, I'm going to be a Chayyim this week.